Welcome back to In Light of the Gospel, episode 19. I've been looking forward to this episode for quite a while. I'm going to be interviewing a friend of mine who's been with me ever since I became a Christian. And if you've heard me preach sermons, very likely you've heard me mention his name. Because the day that I understood the gospel, I was sitting next to John Dyke. He was a truck driver. I was a truck driver helper, I meaning I was a passenger. I drove along with him to help unload windows back in the North Star days. And uh, the gospel started opening up to me, and John was there the whole time. So him and I had our, you know, we butt heads over many different things, but he learned to kind of stand up to me and, and show me the truth. And eventually it sunk in through his influence and through some sermons that I listened to at the time with him. I was able to understand what Christ had done for me. So I give a lot of credit to him. I honor him. I respect him. And uh, I think his story is very interesting. He came from a old colony home. His dad was an old colony preacher. So that puts a bit of pressure on a young man. And uh, he's been through a lot. He's, uh, he's lost two young children when they were just babies. So those things really shaped him. And uh, since then, he also, after leaving the old colony, has been very instrumental in starting the church at Springfield. It was him and several others that started it, and um, we joined a few years after, and it's been a real joy and a blessing to be a part of as a, as a fellow minister of John's and also just as a friend. I appreciate him, and I hope that you appreciate this story. I, I thank you very much for tuning in and for sharing these messages with your friends. And if you could, you know, if you know John, you want to make a comment below about some uh, interaction you've had with him, maybe you've been blessed by him as well. And uh, commenting on these videos helps the algorithm so that they get more views. So it's uh, enjoyable for me to see more and more people hearing the stories of people's lives that have brought them to the point of conversion through Christ. And so if you can share them, that's helpful to me. And I appreciate again you tuning in. God bless you. Well, Lynn, I think we can just start it off with uh, Take Us Way Back. Take Us Way Back. What was John Dyke like as a kid? You were born in Mexico, eh? I was born in Mexico in 1975, and I, um, I was, uh, don't remember much of Mexico. I was actually quite, um, quite young. I do remember a couple of things. Um, Chihuahua, but, right? Yeah, Chihuahua, Mexico. And my birth certificate says Coctemoc, though it wasn't right in town. There was a little village somewhere north that I don't even remember the name of or know the name of. And that's where there was a little hospital or a little, I don't know, some sort of a clinic. House or something. clinic. And uh, that's where I was born. And um, remember a couple of things. I remember we had a white horse. I remember riding in a white buggy, uh, enclosed buggy, uh, which apparently wasn't ours, I found out later. That sounds a little stalt. Yeah, it was. Uh, well, I think it was <laughs> maybe, but it was, uh, yeah, we had a white horse and uh, hey, believe it or not, its name was John. And, <laughs> and um, not Pete. Not Pete. It was John. <laughs> and uh, yeah. So, and then um, I don't remember obviously why we came to Canada or what all happened there. But in, in 1978, uh, May 19th, we arrived in Toronto. You were three years old. Yeah. Also, oh, you really wouldn't remember Mexico. No, not not much at all. And uh, that's right. I was three years and a couple of months. When uh, we arrived in Canada, on, and I remember flying here, I remember me and my brother Frank, we each got a deck of cards going onto the plane, and, and I remember going to Toronto Airport, and all of a sudden being inside the building without walking outside, and it was all just like, wow, how did it, how did we get here? We hadn't even been outside. Wow. <laughs> so there's a couple of things like that I remember, and then 
Um, yeah, so then we were here in 1978 and lived in Port Pearl area. And that's where I actually went to, well, I lived in my grandparents' barn here in, on Lakeshore and um, eventually moved right into town in Port Pearl. And that's where I would have went to my uh, first day of school would have been at the Port Pearl School there okay. in kindergarten. Your dad got right into like farm work and stuff like a lot of Mennonites? Um, well, he did. I guess he did in tobacco and then uh, for just a farmer down the road here. Okay. Gene Shellison. I don't know if you know him. or Right no. out here on Light Line? Right. Here. No, sorry. Sorry. I'm confused. Um, no, Vienna Line. Vienna Line. Okay. Vienna Line. That way. Yeah. They were a bit close to Henry Liz. Right there down the road from Henry Liz is where it is. And um, yeah, we, he worked there. Almost right away got into Imperial. Um, oh, okay. Probably in 1979. Hmm. When he started there, I'm guessing something like that. Anyway, I can't. I don't know that for sure. Seasonal work. Yeah, seasonal work, and um, uh, but yeah, then on the farm in the summer, and um, I don't remember what year it was when my dad did start farming, growing cucumbers himself and stuff, and had a chance to work at uh, at the Imperial full time, but he didn't want to. He wanted to be with the boys, and hmm. so he opted on a good opportunity over there just so he could be with us oh that's cool yeah i thought that was I so you thought. have do you have a lot of memories of working with your dad then oh yeah because yeah. i like no offense to my dad but i don't remember ever working with him a little bit in the backyard a couple times and butchering chicken so i guess i have to correct yeah, that like, like that yeah but you actually got to work with him oh yeah we uh every summer till every summer until i got married my, my older brothers picked cucumbers with their dad i okay. didn't i i played and then yeah and they went to tobacco oh yeah well yeah i guess the, in the beginning my years would have been too I, you know sitting there in the middle and bang for them and stuff new, new platin new platin sometimes and stuff and um but yeah i i did start quite young though i think i would have been i'm guessing about six years old when i started picking okay and then um i'm not sure exactly how that would have went because there, we had more than one machine full of people, and so I'm not sure. How many where, are you guys? We're we're nine. I have one sister that passed away, but she passed away before any of us were born. Okay. She was eight months old and and died of pneumonia, I guess, um, before my brother Jake. Oh wow. And uh, so, but we were nine children plus mom and dad that were here. Ten. So you filled up two machines. Uh, yeah, we could have, uh, but we always just did one, okay. and and then. Um, I remember my dad, he uh, he would have, um, me and my brother Corny, Neil uh, now, um, we would have been on the cucumber machine, do one road together for a long time. So what my dad would do is he'd put a couple of two by fours right across, so I'll say these are the benches where you sit, right across and then put another board up front for me to have my hamper. And then I would sit, be up front and then my brother would have to pick what I couldn't. Yep. And then like that, we just sort of keep us all busy. That's cool. Yeah, that was kind of neat. And yeah, so a lot of memories of work, and we worked hard. We worked on the fields till from sun up till sundown, uh, sometimes till 11, 12 at night, where we do cucumbers first, or tobacco first, cucumbers or watermelons and whatever. They often overlap those yeah. things, and then we'd do some in the evening. Pete Jordsma, you know mm -hmm. them. We did watermelons for them um, in the evenings. And load a truck in the evening yet and pick and stuff. Lots of work Ooh, yeah. and lots of beans. Yeah, lots of, <laughs> eating, eating lots of beans. I remember, I still remember that so clearly. You said that you guys literally like six days a week would have beans. Oh right? yeah, if we could. And if you had to have other foods on Sundays, it was almost disappointing. It was disappointing. Yeah, we loved mom's beans. She was a great cook. She did. But, but that says to me, now that I'm a parent and I'm feeding my own kids, to me it seems that 
they were either almost poor or just very, very frugal? Like, well, I don't know. Um, it could have been, it could have been, it could have been, I don't know, I think a poverty mindset maybe more than actually being that poor. Like in the very beginning, we were quite poor. When you first come, yeah. We were very poor. Uh, we we had very little. We had a lot of, um, I guess there's a, a family uh, from from the Church of God. And uh, when I went to Haiti with Abe Dyke and that, uh, we went to share our story there with with the whole group. Okay. And then when I, I was done sharing, an old gentleman came up to me afterwards and he says... In Haiti? No, here. Oh, at, okay. At Church okay. of God. Sorry. After, sorry, yeah. After we came back, we shared our story there. And then here, uh, that an old man came to me after I, we were sh done sharing. And he goes, uh, you know who I am? And I said, I have no clue. He goes, when you guys were very little and your parents were in Purple living there, whatever, we uh, helped you out with the... Uh, with because you guys were so poor I'm like wow hmm. and I'm just like wow thank you so much I don't know you, it, you were just a kid I was just remember. a kid and, and but it was kind of neat to see that you know I got to meet a guy that did help my parents so we were quite poor then but when we were doing the cucumbers and all that must have been doing okay yeah oh yeah there was there wasn't lack in that way um, back then there was no uh, I, my brother and I we talked about it at one point just not too long ago there was no investing, you know, trying to make your money do something and stuff like that. So there was never something like that that we, but, you know, we, we just lived. The, the mindset has really shifted now with the younger Absolutely. generation, right? Where Maybe it's part of its wisdom, but part of it is hoping for things in this world where they build their security mm -hmm. on having a secure foundation for the right. future in this world, right? Yeah, but exactly. It's not a bad thing to think ahead and plan, right? Yeah, that's right. Yeah, and, and so, yeah, we just lived on and... And uh, mom, dad would treat us for, uh, uh, you know, KFC or pizza or something like that. They would never hold back on that, stuff like that. So I don't think we lived a poor life uh, growing up. We just really liked beans. We liked the beans. <laughs> we were disappointed when it was something else. We just really liked it. And I, in some senses, I'm, I'm glad because it made it easy on my mom to not have to you know, try to think yeah. of all kinds of She was of working all day too. She worked a lot too. She worked in the, often on the fields. She'd be on the fields and often she'd, uh, well, sometimes she'd stay home and just keep up the home too and stuff. She did a lot of the paperwork in, in our cucumber. So we had, we had a busy, quite a busy summer life. Hmm. And rarely could we go away in the summer because of that, like um, vacationing. We rarely did that. Not even back to Mexico? Back to Mexico would always be in the spring, like before, like uh, just over Easter or something. Okay. Yeah, that type of thing. Uh, we did that a couple of times, not many times. We didn't go every year type of thing or whatever. We would um, go, I don't know, three, four times. I think the last time I actually was in Mexico myself in Chihuahua or anything like that would have been, um, I probably was 12, 13, I can't remember. Okay, so, so you didn't have a lot of memories from there. No, no, I uh, I don't have a whole lot. I really, really did enjoy it though. I loved Mexico, um, the the play and the cousins, the um, the horseback ride. And the last time I was there, they still rode horse and buggy. I see. But Is they that also had trucks. When your parents uh, left you in the van sleeping and you woke up, <laughs> <You're>, <laughs> oh, you heard, remember that story? Yeah, uh, yeah, that's exactly what would have happened then. I uh, I was one of those that uh, slept easily and. Uh, 
yeah. at a new place in a dark dark yeah. part of the Mexico there and you wake yeah. up and you're all by yourself in the Zasa Darp. okay yeah I remember it very clear at my cousin's house yeah anyway I got you sidetracked <laughs> but yeah so from there we uh, um, yeah we grew up here living on Highway 73 that where you probably remember where we lived in um, yeah that's where I did most of my growing up and working and you were kind of in the middle of your family as far as age goes, right? Um, just under half, like on the lower yeah, okay. side. Yeah, I'm I'm fourth from the back. Okay. I'm the ch- uh, youngest. Yeah. So what what were you like then? Were you fighting for a position? Do you did you try to make something of yourself, or you're kind of a quiet, yeah, just kind of stay under the radar kind of person? Yeah, I I I guess when I was with my friends, I was maybe a little more noisy, but. No, I, overall I didn't do much. I didn't make much of myself other than just go work and and. Uh, There's not a whole lot of time for rebellion and talking back to your mom and dad no, when you're just working, eh? Yeah, yeah. Talking back was not not a thing, not a thing in my house. Not if it. There was a couple of times I think some of my brothers tried, but it didn't go far. <laughs> no, no, that was. And something. then when the younger ones are watching that, they're like, "I'm not going there." Oh yeah, no, that's right. I. Uh, there was a couple of times where I probably even tried a little bit, but no, that never worked out well for me. Um, I do think, you know, I, I think my dad could have probably done better in raising us or my parents, but at the same time, um, they they had us under pretty good control that yeah, way. They earned your respect. Yeah, I think so. Their respect, yeah. yeah. And, um, but, uh, yeah, it, and one thing that I did appreciate about my uh, parents is when we were working together, you know, obviously we didn't know, we didn't enjoy it all the time, but they made it fairly fun. Okay, it was okay. It wasn't like just hated being with them and hated being around them or whatever. We'd always be around them, mm. that type of thing. And, and you know, my dad did have sometimes he'd get upset at things, and I just remember you know he had his fingers cut off, and he, he when he'd swing the hammer, and then, and then it, he didn't have the proper grip, mm. and it would twist on him, and then he got angry at that, and then that hammer went flying. Oh boy! And then as soon as it was landed, he goes, "Okay, guys, go get it." He's <laughs> just like, "Oh, really, Dad?" <laughs> you so, better watch it. <laughs> yeah, yeah, but yeah, um, and then uh, I was a rebellious teenager, I think, uh, to a degree. Um, I never got into drinking much. I did a little bit. Never got much into drinking, never got much into smoking. Really badly actually wanted to start smoking. That was something I really wanted to do. Everybody was doing it. It was so cool, but uh, the mistake, I guess, blessing in disguise now or whatever, the mistake I made that it wouldn't work out for me was me and my buddies would smoke in a room, a small room, closed door, watching TV all day, and then filling that room with smoke and got such a headache, I just couldn't do it. And now I'm just so glad it happened that way because I, I couldn't see myself, um, I'd hate to see myself being a smoker. And I see. But yeah, never did much of that. Um, I think um, I didn't share a lot of my the things in my heart, deep things in my heart to people. Um, I was going to ask, was there like a, a consciousness of sin and of, of oh, yeah. deep thought? Were you Were you contemplative? I feel like I went through most of my teenage years hardly contemplating about serious things. I had ambitions like I'm going to be somebody or I'm going to do this or I'm going to do that, but I didn't really think deeply about the eternality and stuff like that. No, I didn't do a whole lot of that either. There was a a, a bit of my life, and I I think I must have been about 14 years old, 15 years old or whatever, 
I remember Frank Bergen, Dave Bergen, and, and Jake Penner, and, and those were my buddies then. Um, we had some serious conversations thinking about life and different things, but it was not long, not much, not a long time in my life that I would have thought that. And, um, and then later, later on, in, um, when I was a little older, I got into a, a nasty crowd where I should not have been, but somehow I feel like God spared me from what that nasty crowd was all about. A lot of them got into darker stuff. Yeah, they were apparently in darker stuff, darker stuff than when I was even with them. And you were oblivious to it or what? I was totally oblivious. They were into drugs, pornography, they were into uh, drinking and all that. And I never saw it once. Why did they hide it from you then? I How did you no escape clue. that? I, do, I don't know. I just didn't know what was happening. Hmm. I, and I don't know what happened, where, why, or whatever. When I was with them, I just never saw it. And um, I don't know. I, I just wonder sometimes how that even was possible. But That's awesome. It was good. I, I'm, I look back now, I was like, wow, some of those guys are still in very dark places. Some of them got born again and are good. Uh, guys like Pete Up, you know, I don't know to what degree he would have been in that crowd or whatever, but um, uh, there was some others that were probably worse than him yet and mm. type of thing. But um, yeah, I never caught anything. I never saw marijuana. I never saw a joint or nothing. Hmm. I, I just never knew what it looked like. That's either. cool. Yeah. I so. never, never saw any of that stuff either, but then my friends weren't into it mm -hmm. either. So I kind of escaped that. But. Yeah. What age were you when your dad became a preacher? Was that pretty monumental to you? Yeah, I think it was. I, I was 15, I think. I think he was, it was 1990 when he became preacher. And um, when when he became preacher, then I, um, I I feel like there was probably some sort of change in our home and in my life even. But Your dad went through the whole wardrobe change and all oh that? Yeah. Or? Oh yeah, absolutely. Yeah, he, from there on it was all dark blue and gray and black or whatever. And uh, but was, he never made us change. Was there crying and lamenting? Oh, yeah. And yeah, yeah, there was. Uh, it was a pretty serious thing. Oh yeah, and even for me, that was then because I I, I was with all the emotions there, and it just kind of put a downer on things, or or somehow felt like I don't know, maybe this is really holy and serious, or I'm not sure mm -hmm. what what the feeling is exactly. And, and even my friends were kind of, um, um, you know, they they were compassionate and and they were pretty good. I, I never had a, I never, like a lot of people, they talk about, oh, PK, PK, preacher's kid, whatever. I. But do you think maybe that's why everybody did all this drug and alcohol and pornography stuff kind of on the peripherals, almost to try to keep it from the preacher's kid? Well, that's the thing. I was with them before that, mm. just before that, or during that time. You remember Abe, or Dave Dyke? Um, uh, Dave, Abe... Um, John, they were, they were, I don't even know how to explain them, but yeah, they, those guys, they were Bergen's, Frank Bergen's cousins. Okay. Or I think they were anyway, something like that. But yeah, anyway, I hung around with them and, and those guys were really nice. I like, you know, they they seem pretty wild maybe in, in some, to some degree, but, uh, Dave was a good friend of mine along with Frank Bergen and them and, and, um, they were really nice and they were pretty compassionate or whatever even during that time when when I think they all knew how the preacher thing went in the old colony type of thing yeah and uh, and so they were really nice about it and and uh, yeah I, I think our lives changed somewhat but now thinking back I, I was even uh, thinking about that today it's like was it any different than anybody else's life 
Mm-hmm. Maybe, maybe not. I don't know. I don't really know what to think about it now. Now, like we raise our kids, mine and your kids are both considered preacher's kids now too, but mm-hmm. it, it doesn't feel different to me. Like I was ministering and serving wherever I could, leading Bible studies, and my kids knew that the central theme of our home was mm-hmm. the Bible anyway. And so it doesn't feel any different to me, but I, at the same time, I do see in the kids sometimes they recognize that, mm-hmm. okay, yeah, we're, we're the pastor's kids or yep. we're one of the preacher's yep. kids, right? Yeah. So they, they, there must be some awareness of it. Mm-hmm. That's right. And, and, um, I think there must have been something through my life that way too, but I guess eventually I just got used to it, and this was my life, and I didn't mind. Yeah, it, it was, it was not. So it did, it's not what drew, pushed you into rebellion and into no. the troubled crowd. Oh no, and stuff. no, and and it probably actually would have probably even I don't know. I was just going to say maybe the other way almost but, kept you from some yeah, stuff. Yeah, probably. But did your older brothers get into a lot of trouble? Um, no, not a whole lot. Some, yeah, okay. there, there was some. Not all of them, but um, there was a couple of my brothers. They 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 were a little bit of a troublemakers, okay. but um, and that would have been the older ones more. Okay. Yeah, yeah. So then you're in your teen years. Your dad's a preacher now, and you're starting to make some trouble. And then you met Susan somewhere in that time, I guess. Yep. I actually knew my wife from. I think we were 12 years old, first time we saw each other, first okay. time we met. But even uh, like when we always went traveling to Mexico, they still lived in Mexico. I was born in Chihuahua, like I said before. My wife is born in La Unda, and one of my dad's brothers moved to La Unda too. So we actually went to La Unda, and um, my cousins lived in the same DARP my wife was living in at the time. And uh, she heard about the, uh, you know, you updating your Canadian cousins, and but I never knew they existed there. So she already knew about us somehow. Hmm. But then we came, well, when we were living here, they came here. Um, we knew uh, Pete up and their family. They also knew Pete up and their family or whatever. And so we went to Epps to visit sometimes, and then that's where we met. Okay. And then from there we became friends. Me and Henry have been friends since then. And um, I didn't realize you went that far back. Yeah, and yeah. So then uh, from there, um, 12, 13, 14 years old, I was always at uh, my uh, wife's family's place there. That's where a lot of people always hung yeah. out. They they were central. Even when I was a teenager, a lot of people got together at the Harder's place. Oh yeah, Harder's place was always busy. Um, and I think one of the reasons why is because they were always so inviting. They they always like. They, I think the kids have it that way, and I think they got it from the mom and dad. Mom and mm. dad always invited everybody, and my father-in-law was always way back already. He was always the type of guy um, that would, uh, if somebody came over, he wanted to feed them. He mm. wanted to make sure they had a meal before they, or you know, something. Always offering. I never knew for sure if I was welcome there or not. I felt uh, intimidated okay. by Mr. Harder. He was a rough and he was a rough, rough kind of guy, and yeah. I didn't know where to where to be or where not to be. I went there a fair bit to visit mm-hmm. Abe and Eva and stuff, okay. but. But anyway, yeah. So then they moved here, eh? Yeah, they moved here, and I don't remember them moving here or anything like that. I just got to know them uh, one time when we connected there, and they would have been here for a while then already when we when I got to know them, because um, um, I think it must have been eighty five, nineteen eighty five, eighty six, eighty seven, somewhere. I can't remember quite. But um, yeah, got to know them there, and. Um, it was um, on December 15 or 16 when I asked my wife out for the first date. I think something like that in uh, 
Uh, let me see here, 85, 80, 87. <laughs> yeah. No, really? no, 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 no. In I the got 90s, them. right? Yeah, it was 90s. It was 95, 94, 93, 92. 92 wow. and 93. That's when I asked her. Sorry, I, I got something mixed up there. Yeah, that makes sense. Yep. And so I asked her then, and um, we got married in 1995. Uh, no, yeah, we got baptized in 1994 and um got married in 1995 and um yeah in 1994 we got baptized and in, in uh you know we were a couple that just like any typical couple no restraints really or whatever but we um i don't know something changed in us something we got a refocus of something and and something happened, I think, in Wednesday school or something. I, I'm not quite sure what happened, but we definitely, we didn't plan on getting married yet, but we, we felt like we, we got to get baptized. We, you know, whether or not I was born again there, this is always a tough part for me to exactly analyze. Uh, I always feel like that's probably where I did get uh, born was, again. Were you hearing the gospel being taught besides just from old colony preachers and teachers? Um I think I would have heard something in Wednesday school. Something that Wednesday. would have been with Mr. En uh, Mr. Enns. Was it Enns? Yeah, Mr. Bergen and Mr. Reimer were usually the teachers and oh, stuff. Oh, okay. Like and this is baptism prep class. That's right. In, not Thursday night school. That's right. That's exactly okay. yeah. So uh, and then then there was Mr. Mr. Friesen and my dad. Yeah, they they those they were there and um, I think you know through all that I probably heard something. But in Wednesday school, I think Mr. Enns must have said something somewhere once. I, I was drawn to his teaching quite a bit. Uh, he was very compassionate, nice uh, teacher or whatever. But anyway, um, I think I must have heard something there. Uh, and that's what I often feel like because something changed in me, um, but not to the degree as what I obviously knew later. But anyway, we got baptized and, and we didn't do it for getting married. We didn't even plan on getting married yet. And, and uh, our lifestyle changed a bit and we, you know, we just felt different about everything and um but still would have been very close to oh yeah uh, bible study or prayer meeting well, or things like that yeah bible study was starting to be a, a little bit in the radars for us a little there bit. was we a lot of commotion at the time right yeah yeah because we, we were starting to see you know there was other people that already leaving the church and stuff and that caused us to think too and stuff like that and and other uh, preachers kids and stuff even. yeah yeah and uh, so yeah, I'm not sure how much of the Bible study thing would have been. I can't quite remember exactly all the details of, of where that all really, really started. But um, then, um, yeah, we got married in 1995. And when we got married, um, we hadn't been married long, probably a year. And uh, I was at work. And one time then somebody came over to our house while I was at work. His name was Paul. And... Um, shared the gospel with my wife hmm. and um so we were like i was right away like oh man who are we letting in the house and yeah we got to watch out here because i had no idea what different religions or whatever we're doing and 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 though i i would have considered myself more open-minded already than i was but i was still quite closed i i told my wife even when she told me about it i was like you gotta watch out you know who do you dangerous religions that's there. right and and who's you know what do they say and then how do we know they're true and they're right and all those things and and um and then sometime after that um i, I thought it was like maybe a week or two later but my wife said it was actually a couple months later 
but sometimes sometime after that on a Saturday I was not working but I was working at home in my shop and doing kitchen cabinets and stuff and um, my wife was in there and then also that Paul guy came over again he knew he had someone on I, the hook there. I really? think I think he understood something. Like he was like, I think these people might be open a little bit. And so he came in there and he told me some things. And one thing that I just put in his face right away, I said, um, a lot of people say they're Christians, but then I leave, see their lifestyle, then something doesn't add up in my mind. You know, that, that was kind mm -hmm. of the question I had. And in, in, my, in my mind, I thought I had a fair question. And I think it sure. is a fair question. Yeah. And... Uh, and then he, I think it was him that actually told me about First John five thirteen, I think. And I, uh, the only, uh, well, when when he left, I don't know if it was right away or sometime after, weeks after, or days after, or what. My wife and I in our living room in the Elmer house we rented, we opened the Bible to First John five thirteen, and I was going to see what is it say in there. Mm -hmm. and that's when I read that passage from verse nine to thirteen. And that's where things really start sinking in. Like, what have I been doing all my life? And that's where I felt like I've made God out to be if a you, liar. If you do not believe the record that God gave of His Son, you've made mm -hmm. God a liar. That's right. And that, that really sank in. And, and I, I felt like I have been calling God a liar. That, that just really spoke to me that why, how I would have done that and what the, uh, you know... Uh, how much I resisted and a lot of things just came to my mind like how when people were talking to me about the gospel I would have just shut them down so many times because you can't you know just like a lot of the typical Mennonite teachings are you can't know and you can't how can you dare say yeah, that in that passage in particular he says that you may know that you have eternal life that's right yeah and when I got to that verse there I, I literally stopped reading I couldn't read further I, I was just like wow what does it say right there uh, you know, was I pulling things out of context there? I don't know, you know, probably, but that just really spoke to me. And from there, things started changing. And um, then we started with, we wanted to know what the Word of God said. And, and we talked to my parents about Bible study and stuff, and they were right upset about it. They just so, they did not like what we were doing. And, and uh, they were very eerie about everything and warned us all the time. And we went to a... Um, I think it must have been a revival meeting or something in Summer's Corners uh, gym. And mm -hmm. I think it was the uh, EMMC that had rented the place. We went there. We told my parents about it. And they just... That's a big no-no. Oh, yeah. That was a big no-no. And, and, you know, we were reading these things. We were talking to the preachers and, like, well, my parents and stuff. And they warned us against this. And we were that was a confusion to us um, because we trusted a lot of things my parents still said and, but at the same time we're reading this and learning about this and we're like okay how do we add all this together and um, yeah so that was pretty rough and um, um, when that happened though uh, it just seemed like the ball was rolling and the the idea of the gospel Christ shedding his blood for us that was already kind of kind of becoming clear to you at that point and that you oh, could yeah. know through his work that mm -hmm. you were saved that's right yeah, exactly. I, I really had an understanding of uh, of the Jesus dying on the cross. I, I think at that point I was still probably thinking, though, that, I don't know, almost that your works keep you saved. I think I had some of that in me mm -hmm. somehow. But at the same time, I knew my sins were forgiven because that, that was clear to me now that I had eternal life. My sins were forgiven. 
but I just didn't know, you know, that your future sins and all those things, where they stood. I think just probably confusion, not knowing where to put and all not that. not getting any good, solid yep. teaching. Yep. Because you still stayed Old Colony for a number of years, right? Yep, that's right. And that, not, uh, that brings me to the point where um, we were Old Colony for a number of years, and my wife and I, we actually said to each other, I can't remember where it was, I think it was driving down a road somewhere or something in our gray car, I still remember that gray car and we were talking about different things and we said let's not leave let's no that wasn't the gray car that was still the blue one i think but anyway let's not leave the old colony let's stay even we, if there's a need uh, not very good we need to help or what that's right we we really felt like we should stay and help and and we really felt like these were our people i i loved our people the old colony i i just loved the people All, overall that was i was really really felt close to the church whatever not that i had a bunch of friends but just overall the system i i really liked it and i really felt like you know what this is ministry right here we these are our people let's just plug on keep working and whatever and uh so i almost right away when uh, we were married i became a sunday school teacher and um did that for a while i don't even know how long and then um that i don't know what time in my life it was or how what year it would have been then we started the um the um youth the thesen girls and thesen girls with frank bamman. frank bamman and jake ends they were all part of that and um that ministry was very good for a number of years not We'd, just for the youth eh? <laughs> oh no that, that it helped us a lot uh i believe it would help frank bamman a lot and them too but uh it was it was very good. Um, the Friends of Jesus Choir came out of that, yeah. and, and uh, I. Can you played. imagine thinking back to that time now and all the fruit that has actually come out of that? Like Frank mm -hmm. Bam has been in some type of ministry since like mm -hmm. way back. Jake Enns is one of the elders at Port Burwell. You're in mm -hmm. ministry, and so many of the young people that were yeah. saved there, born again through the Thies and Girls ministry or through you or Frank, mm -hmm. and like just there's lots and lots of people that were affected by that. I think so. I've I've heard like uh, Willie Penner's. I yeah. don't know how close it's related to that, but he sometimes talked about that, and and um, um, I've I've heard Benny Jansen yeah. and them, you know, there's and there was a lot of people that were there. We saw, I think we were up to eighty people sometimes, and and um, we had the uh, the program sometimes in in the Vienna Hall yeah. where we do the music programs and stuff like that. Um, I don't know somehow I think music just does something to people, and the music ministry was good. Yeah, so that was very good, and um, I became school board member um, for the old colony private school. Yeah, for the old colony private school. I um, I forget what year that would have been, but yeah, I was there one year. That was actually a year before Redicop stepped down. Yeah. Then, um, um, yeah, I became a. Then, then uh, we visited Redicops already. We went there. You didn't leave right away when Redicops left. Well, I was part of that, and in, in, in my in my heart, I wasn't gone yet. I, I was there pretty much right from the. I was there the first Sunday actually, yeah. But I don't know. If, Must I have remember. felt a little bit like betraying your yeah. dad and yeah, the betraying colony. the whole system. And because the, there was a lot of controversy between yeah. the old colony preachers at the time. Yeah, Mr. Enns was now gone, and they were electing a new um, Altista and. Yep. A lot of controversy there, and then Redicop stepped out, and so mm -hmm. then to follow him would have felt like a slap in your dad's face, probably. Oh, yeah, right? yeah. My dad really took that personally, I think, and and feel like you know, 
are we just teaching wrong and and um, there there I later years I, I reassured him it's like nothing personal absolutely not and and I didn't try to be rebellious that was never my intention to do anything like that so he uh, yeah we had a pretty rough go there for a while with them and, and uh, trying to understand each other and stuff and um, yeah so when um, they, they did kick me off the board so I was only there I was supposed to be three years but I was only one and um, and then we just full-fledged went to Redicops and never that's where we cut ties and and stuff and um, went to Redicops till um, 2006 I think it was 2006 January 29 was the last day when the Redicop thing kind of fell apart yeah well there was a good three years I think probably because I know Hallie mm -hmm. was born and then we broke off from Old Colony and the Red Cop thing started up. There was a lot of controversy in the Old Colony church at the time. And then mm -hmm. this whole thing started up. Me and my family almost all left. And our intent was just basically, why not teach some English? Mm -hmm. And that's what we had heard. Red Cop was going to teach some in English. So like, let's do something where at least we can understand what the Bible says. Yeah. I still had not really a lot of interest in, in actual scriptural truth. But we were trying to avoid Sundays already. You know, depending on which preacher was preaching, we just wouldn't even go to Old Colony. And then when this happened, Mr. Redekop had preached our wedding just a year before. And so it was like, it was easy for me. And then my parents went and my brothers went. And it was, mm. it was like a really interesting, exciting time. But that's when I really started hearing from you and from your brother-in-law, Henry Harder. And uh, mm -hmm. messages started getting passed around. And the mm -hmm. charity messages, yeah. CDs started getting passed. And yeah, there was the Jeremy Hoare one that was pretty popular then. Um, Roman Salvation, Kaufman. yeah, Salvation Crystal Clear. I think the one yeah. message was called, or whatever. The worth of a soul and Salvation Crystal Clear. Those were the two that yeah. got me. Yeah, yeah. So those were, yeah, the, quite some teachings for us then. Really, really beneficial, I think, for a lot of people at the time. And um, yeah, and then when when we um, left the old colony and just backing up, it, there was something. My wife and I were just chatting about this. There was something that, um, you remember when we were driving truck and then sometimes I wouldn't have a helper and then I'd take either Sarah or my wife along and, mm -hmm. and on the overnight runs and stuff. And anyway, my wife and I were driving truck and I believe we were going from, um, from Elkhart, Indiana to Plainwell, Michigan on the 131 North. I don't know if you remember that highway. Or I don't remember the numbers as much, but yeah. I remember those towns. We were driving and, and I just said to my wife, I said to my wife, are you ready for something? I don't know what's going to happen. I feel like something's going to happen, but are you ready in case God has something for us? And I had no clue what it would be. This was, she thought maybe we were still at the old colony, but I think we later concluded it must have been a red cops where this happened. And I don't know why I said that. It just all of a sudden something came to me and I was like, I think God has something in store for us. Almost like he's forewarning you a little bit. Yeah, and so um, and I just said to her, are you ready for this? I, whatever it is, I don't know. And um, we we just kind of like, yeah, well, you know, whatever God wants is what we want. And and, um, and so I, I feel like maybe I had a calling for ministry at that time already somehow, but not sure what to call it or what mm -hmm. it was. But anyway, yeah, and, and so we... Um, then at the Redicops Church, there was the the uh, the deacon election. I don't mm -hmm. know if you remember that. Yep, and I was part of that still. 
Yep, and and so we we had that, and then we had the nominees, and I was one of the nominees, so and, then, and, and so were you, and there was others, and I wanted to drop, pull my name out, and and then Isaac Dyke, I remember him saying, "Why would you pull your name out?" And uh, all of a sudden, I thought, "No, I don't need to. I don't need to pull my name out. I'm not going to be picked anyway." You're calling to ministry, but you knew that that was not that it was, somehow. Yeah, and and I was just so confident in it, and I was like, nope, that's. Well, I remember already at Redicops, I looked up to you a lot because I worked with you, and mm-hmm. I knew you knew the scriptures well, and so then you were still trying to come to come come to terms with the idea of teaching and stuff. But you did mm-hmm. teach some of the Sunday school that yeah, you were teaching right. on yep. spiritual gifts and all that. Mm-hmm. And I remember being more edified and blessed by that a lot of times than by the main services, mm-hmm. right? So. We all kind of suspected already that you would be one of those that would lead out. Yeah, probably, yeah, because I was already taking some roles like that, yep. And and so, yeah, um, I was very confident. And then the day, the reason I remember the day so clear was my daughter's birthday when when we left Radicop, right on her birthday. Hmm. We just saying happy birthday to her in the, in the church. And there was a big blow up. And a big blow up after. <laughs> oh man. Oh man. Such a sad day after. It was so gloomy. There's a lot stuff. of turmoil, right? Because there was yeah. so much excitement and potential from the Redicop movement. Even to this day, there's been a lot of fruit from that as Absolutely. well. But there was also a lot of like, what do we do now? Who mm-hmm. are we? Are yeah. we old colony still? Are we just English old colony? Like what is happening here? Right? Yeah. But yeah. then people started getting born again. Yeah. Left, right and center, right? That's people right. were hearing we had, the gospel. We had the uh, baptism there. Uh, you remember that when I think Joe Joe got baptized there. Joe Henry and Liz and a bunch of others. Yeah, yeah, and there was a bunch of others, and then um, I actually did the uh, baptism classes there, even help teaching them. Yep, yeah, and Mr. Redicop, I think couldn't make make one or two or something. He asked if I would just help teach there, and so I did, and and then I remember that's uh, that that baptism whole baptism thing was a pretty exciting evening, mm-hmm. and um, some people got born again through that. Um, which I've heard later so uh, that was very exciting for us and stuff and um, yeah so then from there I uh, we um, we actually uh, on on January 29th 2006 on her Sarah's 10th birthday is when we that went to nothing or to nothing I should say that's when that fell apart the the three deacons that were nominated and voted Mm -hmm. in Along with a big group of seven or eight or ten families. We maybe. were 11 families. 11 families that, left. Yep, that's right. And so we left. I don't know what happened to the, all the many, but it got very small. It dispersed quite a bit. Yep. Yeah. And there was like four or five families, I think. I can't remember. That stayed there for with Mr. Redekop for quite a while. My parents quite a were while. there for quite a while, yeah. Yep. And um, so we uh, that very day yet, on that Sunday, I think it was Henry Penner that invited us anybody that wanted to come to their house and then we would just have some singing and stuff in the afternoon and so a bunch of people went and we invited Mr. Redicott and everything and you know but of course he was pretty heartbroken which I totally get mm-hmm. and uh, so they didn't come and um, so we did that and then we uh, decided that we would rent the hall in Brownsville to uh, get together to see what we wanted to do from there and so the night Sunday we went there and um, we wanted to see what would happen, what where we wanted to go to church from here, and things like that. And and so I'm pretty sure we were 11 families, and um, we went there, and nobody knew where they wanted to go except Henry and Anna Penner. They already had decided they would go to Purple and and everybody blessed them, 
and because that's kind of the idea that we had see where you wanted to go just go wherever you felt led to go and um but the rest the 10 families we just didn't know where we wanted to go so we figured well then we'll have to do this again and see and then the night sunday came around and still nobody knew nobody went anywhere and we did that for a while and soon we're just like nobody nobody talked about it much anymore it was kind of thing whatever you just we knew we were meeting sunday morning at and brownsville we, yeah and that and we had no intention of starting a church we had no intentions of anything and then i don't know how long later months later maybe maybe even a year i can't remember jake dredger coming over i can't remember when that was but he he actually said to us why are you guys looking for a church what well, like you are a brotherhood and that's when the first time it clued in my mind anyway this is probably something that God is calling us or mm. directing us. And well, we had we had left all the Redicop Church before that, and yes. we went over to Vienna. So I got introduced to all these guys, Jake Dreeder and them. And the brothers' meetings were very lively, very mm. exciting meetings to be a part of. Everybody was there, passionately wanting to know what are we doing as a church. Mm-hmm. And so then we came there, and I was just young and energetic and zealous and stuff. And I was still very much connected with a lot of you guys. So mm-hmm. as soon as you guys started there, I started mentioning at brothers' meetings, like, look at what they were doing here look what's happened here and like this mm-hmm. is a whole new group that started and i remember like pretty much every month lisa and i would come over and visit you guys so it was mm-hmm. like pretty much every month that's right that we would be there too and then i'm taking information back to the church at vienna <laughs> and letting them know what you guys are all up to and yeah, yeah. and so then jake came over there too and yeah the, i remember jake preaching there and jake simons came to preach and dave yeah. peters came dave peters um john ends i'm not sure if john ends did he might henry have Clausen maybe. henry Clausen maybe um and then even for a while john ends would teach us singing okay at toby margo's basement and so we had singing classes uh once a month or once a week yeah. i can't remember what it was but something like that and um, such a moldable new group where we didn't oh, yeah. nobody knew what they were going to do yet exactly. almost went the the vienna church way the charity style right mm-hmm. and then almost yeah we Port just like yeah and, yeah we were just really trying to find our way and uh while you know looking at the young families now with the little children that's what we were yeah everybody just had babies really no elders <laughs> nope there was no elders <laughs> nope the eldest people weren't even elders <laughs> and um yeah and and so we did that for oh, a while and then um, one of the things at Redicops was a building getting a building and that was really something that we couldn't agree on and so we were so tired of a building of, t- of talking about building so we were just very happy to we'll be just able to, keep renting i think yeah i think um we rented it for 50 dollars a whole sunday <laughs> and so we were just like that's a no-brainer yeah uh, that worked so well and then uh um the way I remember it, we were there, had our service one Sunday, and afterwards, we uh, very often we would just stay there all day. Have potluck and, potluck just, hang and just hang out. Some of the songs that were sung, yeah. like it was, there was a real excitement around the idea of just being gods. Yep, right? that's like, right. Oh yeah, we did a lot we of things. to him. We played games. We would play musical chairs as the whole church. Yeah. You know, everybody's included, and and so we had a lot of fun. And really enjoyed each other's uh, company there and, and just always trying to learn and different things. But one day, got a knock on the door. Um, and we are like, what? That's weird. Who at knocked the hall. At the hall. Who knocks on the door at the hall? But anyway, Abe Ham, I believe when it was, he went and checked who it was. And it was the Baptist church. And the Baptist church leaders of some sort. Um, I don't know if um, John Twyman or John Burks would have been one of them. But, um, yeah, they came and they uh, 
asked them if we would be interested in getting their building. Abe Ham comes and talks to us all, and we're like, no, tell them just never mind. Not interested. Not interested. We were so sick and tired of buildings and whatever. The talk said, told them not interested, and then it's like, okay. And then uh, I think three months or so, I, I if I remember correct, they came back and did it again. We told them again, no. And mm. then all of a sudden, they I think they got in contact with Pete Penner. And by this time, I think Abe and Aggie were in Mexico as missionaries already. Okay, before you went to Springfield. Yeah, I think so. I think that's the way it went. That, yeah, don't quote me on that, but I, that, the reason I think that is because all of a sudden it switched to Pete Penner doing it from Abe and I, yes it was because uh, then they just called and they said can we have a meeting with you guys that's all we want to do is just talk and about the building and all that and we thought well you know what maybe we shouldn't fight against it like this and then we finally went and then we were actually in the basement of our building there with uh, all the Baptist people they had a nice big table set up there and all their people a lot of their people and all of us men pretty much all of us men were were there and um, we, uh, we didn't know what we wanted to do. We didn't want to make a mortgage. We didn't want to do any of that. We just, whatever. And uh, we, we, before we went, we actually said to each other, what are we going to tell them? Like, we don't even know what to say. We're like, where, where's this going to go? What? All we knew is we didn't want a mortgage. And so I think at this point... We but you had already kind of dealt with the idea that you were a church. Yes. Or the church point, at Brownsville. That's just, right. That's where we are. Yeah, at this point it would have been. And I think we had collected somewhere $10,000 already or something. And just, just collecting, we knew, not knowing for what. But, um, oh, it was, yeah, and this was part of the reason with Abe and Aggie being mm -hmm. gone. So we wanted to make sure that was all taken care of. And um, we told them we got like $10,000 in the bank or it collected and we're not about to get a mortgage. We got Abe and Aggie in Mexico. They come first. That's all we know. And they just said, well, we really like that answer. Hmm. We really like what you said. Okay. We're not trying to get your attention here or your yep. affection, right? Yep. So we're like, whatever. And um, so we uh, we wanted to leave it at that. And we we just thought that was nothing then. And all of a sudden, John Burks calls Pete Penner up again and says, what if I hold a mortgage for you? And you guys pay only as you can because they didn't want the uh, Abe and Aggie obviously to be stuck. And also they didn't want to sell the building to the lumberyard. The lumberyard really wanted the church building. They wanted to break it down and use it for lumberyard or whatever. And they said we would sell it. They would sell it to them only if they couldn't find a church group. And so they wanted to give us first shot. And so anyway, then John Burks held a mortgage for us at a very low interest and he we could take as much time as we needed and so um we did pay it off i think in three two three years i can't remember it was very quick and they gave it to you for a good price too. ninety thousand dollars i think it was so we really felt like that was a godsend and uh, this was in the beginning of 2008 i believe i think that's the way it went we had just sold our house trailer and we were in on the farmyard yep. about a week or two. I forget which one was first. We were in the building and then we went there or was it vice versa? Um, but anyway, we uh, we rented the, the house on our way to Alberta. We made our final deal. We hadn't even seen the house, but we rented the farmhouse. And anyway, then that's when we got the building. And we uh, when we came back is 
one of the first Sundays we were back is when we uh, had our first service in the in the building, which was very exciting, very empty. <laughs> it just felt so big. Yeah. And but anyway, yeah, we did that, and and then that same year yet, or at least in 2008. If this, I think it was 2008 when we got the building. That's when I got ordained as as elder in in um, Springfield, and um, from there. Um, the church started growing. We had some people that came in and tried to take over and wanted to really push their agenda or their doctrine on in uh, you know like three different groups that really wanted to really wanted to sway to the direction. Eh? Yeah, yeah. And some of them were what they even wanted to be the teachers there and stuff. And we're like, whoa, no, nope, mm. this this was not going to happen. Not so quick. Where Vienna, I think. From what I can gather, I have my criticisms of some of their stuff, but they came in and just said, we'll, we'll preach here if you need us to sometimes, but oh, yeah. you guys get going. That's right. They they were very gracious, very kind, and very nice to us. They never pushed. They And, and right away you felt open to to let them in and, and do some teaching and stuff. But these other guys, they were really you know, off something totally different than what we were learning. And so... Um, like get you have to get baptized to be saved or you don't get baptized at all Christians shouldn't get baptized or you know it's like extremes mm -hmm. and and um, and then we have the Church of God come in what, what do you think kind of kept uh, kept you kind of focused I know through the years you've become very gospel centered Christ mm -hmm. has become the central theme of things and I think probably we've had a lot of the same influences that way we I remember listening to some of Michael Pearl mm -hmm. stuff together in the truck oh, yeah. even and then our whole the whole like a whole paradigm shift of well, that's what the gospel is about mm -hmm. we understood it but it was almost like it wasn't really mm -hmm. emphasized it wasn't right. a really major theme right mm -hmm. so what was it that somehow kept you from going astray to those extremes well i i think i think my like i i'm not like a very avid reader but yet i there were certain things that i i looked into the bible and i just really like no this is what i believe this one of the things I've always kind of been, done is whenever I read something or heard something, if it didn't resonate with the Bible that I was, what I was reading in there, I didn't use it. I didn't take it in. So uh, if there was a guy that would say, teach that you have to be baptized to be saved, if I couldn't make that resonate in the Bible in my own mind, whether it was true or not, I didn't know or wouldn't know, I wouldn't use it. That I didn't sway in it then. I, that just didn't go over well with me because I, I just I had to be convinced in my own mind okay. and I think a lot of those things did keep me like I, I think you know it, I sometimes think you know as young as I was and, and inexperienced in leadership and all these things that I was um, somehow God preserved us in many ways and um, yeah we, we have to we, we really needed to learn we were my wife and I sometimes talked about it, like we're we're a, a group of people without a father, you know, you're just like children trying to find their own way. I remember even, you know, we had prayer meetings at Abe Ham's place or mm -hmm. at even Lisa Dyke's place and yeah. there was like, we need elders, Lord. You know, we need someone with gray yeah. hair to come in and yeah. help us and lead oh, yeah. us and, you know, we don't, we're too young to really function this way, right? Yeah, absolutely. And I, I think it would have been beneficial if there would have been some, some elder gentleman that would have been able to guide and direct and not that God can't use young young yeah. people I think and very often that that does happen but 
Um, it would have been nice probably, but maybe maybe there would have been some things that we would have not fought for so much then. Well, I mean, you, you know, 12 years later or so, then God had started answering the prayers as your hair is turned, <laughs> turning gray. Yeah, I should do. <laughs> yeah. He sent us the elders. Yeah, yeah, slowly but surely. But yeah. Um, but I remember those first days too, like there was a lot of, uh, even when you were ordained, there was still like this, I remember Ray Wanger called it the round robin style of preaching and teaching, right? You would teach, preach Sunday, and then Abe Ham would, and then Abe Dyke would, and then Abe Penner would try, and Pete Penner, mm -hmm. my brother Joe did some preaching, Henry started a little bit, <laughs> or maybe Henry didn't even at that time, I forget. Not so much, but, but yeah. There was like five, six, seven guys that were kind of taking turns. That's when we just started coming, and Ray Wanger came and sp spoke there for a weekend or mm -hmm. a week, and he said, I don't know how you guys do your thing here, but I would really discourage the whole round robin thing. Like if you've got a couple guys that are gifted at teaching, get them doing it. Like mm -hmm. not everyone is gifted this way. <laughs> yeah. So we really just didn't know what the, what we were doing. Right? Yep. And and I think, uh, I still think it was okay that we did that. Oh yeah. And the reason I think it was is it brought out gifts. It brought out the gifts, and it brought out, it. You know, it gave other people. Um, you know, I I remember Abe Penner just saying, "Hey, the preaching's not for me," and and we really saw his gift shine all of a sudden in music and in singing and stuff like. Why would we try to force him to do this when God's gifted him here? Mm -hmm. and, and, and he's been such a blessing where uh, doing what he's been doing. And um, so I think that's been very, very beneficial for us to, to uh, have that. Um, you know, I, I, I wouldn't mind if some of the brothers would share maybe a little more. <laughs> but overall, it's, I think it's, uh, it's good. A lot of the gifts are being sh uh, brought out and, and different things. So... Yeah, and um, yeah, and then I think it was 2000, oh, I can't even remember now, when you guys were ordained, you and Henry 15? Something like that. I think it was. Is it seven years already? To me, it seems like it must be 2015, or was it 2017? I think it was 15. I, I, if we got dates, or Abe and Lisa, for sure, they got the dates. Mm -hmm. They got dates for everything. And we were at the church for about six years, I think, mm -hmm. before. Yeah, yeah. And, and, and so, yeah, and um, well with my dad in that whole thing um my parents both we really like uh had a just backing up you know we were saying there was kind of problems in the family because of leaving the church but since then uh we've had some really sweet fellowship with my parents and and uh been able to really um connect better than ever before i think um where they they seem like they got the gospel and um my uh my mom you know when she passed away i you know just talking to her about the gospel and she really seemed to understand and she was she seemed to be ready to go. make mention of that time when she mentioned the the whole greenhouse idea okay like yeah transplants and yeah stuff. yeah yeah so what she did she she wanted, started to see what was going on with the old colony yeah system. she saw a lot of people leave the old colony church and my my mom my mom I, I in one sense i feel like she she had a lot of insight on a lot of things just by saying things like little things that she would say and and uh you know she didn't make a big broadcast but yeah one of the things that she did say is she felt like if the people from Mexico were to come here and just go to a different church uh, other than Old Colony, that would just be a shocker to them. That would be too much. She felt like the Old Colony was the greenhouse where they would be planted here 
and then from here they move on to somebody else and then all the people from Mexico that move this way they would be planted in the old colony and from here eventually be transplanted into into a different church and, and, and it almost sounds like she was kind of giving credit to it that it was maybe okay and that it was right. kind of a good thing yep that's right so yeah she 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 i think she just thought, saw you know what people that are leaving the old colony aren't bad and for those people over there to hear, obviously she knew how Mexico was and how a lot of To the, come to Elmer Old Colony was actually almost like coming to a liberal church. Exactly. So it was already a huge step. Yeah. And then for them to come to a church like ours all of a sudden, that would have just that would just not fly. And and I wouldn't blame anybody. Like I, I couldn't see myself doing that from Mexico directly to a church like ours here now. I could easily see that be way too much. Mm -hmm. and, and uh, you know, close your door, heart's door to anything that was being said and all those things. And uh, a lot of people's hearts were softened by the old colony. Yeah. And then through the old colony school, a lot of people got saved there yeah. with the teaching and the teachers. Mm -hmm. My wife was a teacher with your wife. And That's I remember right. hearing a lot of stories then that people were coming to understand the gospel mm -hmm. at the school. Yeah. And so they were like a breeding ground. They're transplanting people into other churches. Yeah. And so now we're one of the churches. You know, There was seven or ten families for yeah. a long time. And then people trickled in, trickled out, trickled in, trickled out. And then all yeah. of a sudden we had 10 or 12 or 15 families. And yeah. Now I think we're upwards of mid thirties sometimes. Yeah. So mid thirties, it could be mid thirties. and uh, we, don't, we don't do an actual count of people. Yeah. Yeah, I, I have a little bit of a list of who's in and, and just trying to, uh, I need to update it again. Some, some people have some moved babies. to Mexico. And yeah, some people have left and, and things like that. And um, yeah, I think what, um, we had people poking their heads in and looking a little bit, but weren't interested and I don't blame anybody because we were not established at all. Like, you know, they want to raise a family in a, in a good church or whatever, but you know, here's this church that looks like they're not even you got it all together yet yeah and, and so i don't blame anybody and and you know i look back now i never thought of it this way but you know we were kind of pioneering in in, in, in the gospel like finding our way like like other groups have done and um uh i think it was almost i don't know i want to say five years seven years where it really started growing yeah. something like that i can't remember quite but yeah and then it started growing and um and uh yeah we had uh, a lot of a lot of good times a lot of very hard times and mm -hmm. and i think that's what brought us close well what what it kind of drew us obviously we knew you from when we left the redicop church and then we were at vienna for about three years and then we came back to to springfield after you guys moved there and uh we could see that there almost everybody was homeschooled families not that it was like a requirement but people were very very interested in their in the fruit of their offspring, right? They mm -hmm. wanted their children to walk with God. They really wanted to teach their own kids. And then we saw that husbands were loving their wives and wives were honoring and submitting to their husbands. And even now I look around at most of those original families and I see good relationships. Mm -hmm. I see solid families. Mm -hmm. And, uh, you know, maybe not always the most zealous bunch out there, mm -hmm. you know, preaching on the gospel and that kind of stuff like some churches do, but stable steady you know yeah. i look around still and i'm i'm i love that our family is integrated with mm -hmm. this group mm -hmm. you know we're closer to some than we are to others at the same time i've often said this even from the pulpit there's some people in the church congregation that i almost have no uh, personal inter interactions with but knowing that they're there each sunday yep. that they're raising their family in a particular way 
not perfectly, but they're trying, they're struggling through, they're hearing the gospel, they're teaching their kids, they're spending time with their wives. I see them going out on dates. I see them going mm-hmm. on vacations together, just the husband and wife, or mm-hmm. you know, just very family-oriented, very gospel-centered. And I think through the years, we've gotten a lot better at teaching that book, yep. You know, teaching books of the Bible, verse by verse, that mm-hmm. kind of thing. You've done many books. John Henry's done several yep. books. I've done a bunch. Now we're doing the book of Acts together. Yep. Almost finished that Almost one. Almost two more chapters. So I, I love it. I mean, yep. you know, are we a good, good church? Are we a perfect church? By no means. Oh, no. But it's yeah. very exciting to be a part of. And I think that's what's kind of attracting people now is mm-hmm. there's yep. a, a liveliness about it where we're not that we've got it figured out, but we're, oh, no. we yeah. have kind of our feet set now, it feels like a little bit. That's right. Where To where people feel like, okay, you know, this is an establishment where I would want to raise my family too. Mm-hmm. Yeah. And um yeah, I yeah, I always just feel like we just got to stay on stay on the gospel and stay on the the book and and I think uh um God will honor that obviously because it's his word. And yeah, if we were if we were primarily concerned about uh getting more numbers, we could do different things. Mm-hmm. But instead, we've kept the almost the yeah. whole emphasis on singing good old hymns and some new yeah. gospel-centered hymns. That's right. And preaching the Bible, mm-hmm. and then gathering around that, and there's you know uh, an hour or so of chatting afterwards, and lots That's of right. get get-togethers in between, and mm-hmm. so yeah, it's a real joy to be a part of. Yeah, amen. Exactly. But now our building's often pretty much full. That's right. Yeah, which is almost scary to see what what's uh, or exciting <laughs> to mm-hmm. see what God wants next. Yeah. Mm-hmm. We've uh, in the last couple of years faced a couple of things that we've never never had to for the first ten or more years of a church. We had our first funeral mm-hmm. a couple of years ago. Um, and now, just a couple of weeks ago, there was a funeral of a, a stillborn baby, yep. Yep. and uh, it's just learning things that we've never had to deal with. We've done many weddings now, yep. and that's been a real pleasure to be a part of too, mm-hmm. and pointing them constantly back to Christ. And Amen. Yeah, exactly. Yeah, we. Uh, yeah, it's it's a whole another. You know, you think about the funerals and all that. It's um, the funerals and weddings both really they really point to the gospel. In in um, Christ in the church is the wedding. Funerals just where it seems like you're ushered into that, you know, ushered into the other side where you're going to meet the Lord, and um, so that's that's exciting in in that sense. And uh, what what gives you the most joy or excitement or hope in regards to? church ministry and well i i do what i i think what gives me the most joy other than the salvation of my own soul um would be that i see when people are excited also about about actually being saved and in uh, knowing the lord and and um for me i really enjoy sharing the gospel to some, with somebody that doesn't know um, when they come and they, um, when I see a hunger, mm-hmm. that's quite exciting for me. Um, I, I really, uh, enjoy to see somebody get the gospel. And that day when Corny and Nancy came visiting and there's this brand thing. new young couple and you yeah. get to sit down with them. And well, yeah, that was very exciting. It was very exciting. I've seen a few of those now and that's, that's always very exciting for me to, for people to see that just simply believe the gospel and, and it, you'd see you can see the transform their life mm-hmm. just the way they think the way they go about everything uh, find me from struggling to resting I, I if you will and absolutely yeah that's that's one of my favorites i i think in a, one sense um i think that's one of the reasons i like 
doing baptism classes mm. is a, where you get to share the gospel once again. Again and again. Yeah. And, and, and without those terms. new young people coming in, the church would start to feel dry and mm. dead pretty quickly. But to get that new life. Yeah. Now, one of the things that's been on my mind a lot in that with that topic is that we sometimes see young people come in. I think about the youth that came through the church probably seven or eight years ago. You know, Billy, Tony, and mm-hmm. Benji, and a bunch of those guys where they were they were hungry for truth. That's right. And now a lot of times we see our own kids who were raised in a very stable environment. They didn't go off getting into drugs and alcohol and smoking and whatever else. They were taught the gospel from young on. It almost seems like it's taking a while for them to really catch on to the gospel mm-hmm. or that it really doesn't seem to matter as much to them. That's right. And it doesn't Do you have any them. theories on that? Well, I think I, I think you. it's just... They're good kids. That's right. They're, they're good. If, if for the most part, I think a lot of pretty much everyone, I think. I can't think of anybody that wouldn't be, but um, they are good kids. I think when Jesus said that he who is forgiven much loves much, I think that probably is an effect here where they haven't done those bad things that I have growing up. There's, there's no real strong conversion, right? That's right. Where it, our, our whole mindset had to shift completely mm-hmm. when we got saved. That's right. And for them, this is normal. Um, you know, uh, even just our church setting, when we go to the old colony for a wedding or to uh, a Rhinelander or anywhere that is quite different than ours, we go there, they feel like, whoa, this is so different. It's like, no, this isn't different. This is how we grew up. This is how we grew up. Feels so it, it could it could feel at home, if you will, but they don't know that. You know, the moment you step out into a different church and do do it the way we do it now, and they're just raised in it, they they don't know different. For them, this is going to be all the memories, and just like the old colony was for yeah. us. Sometimes I've wondered, like uh, a kid that maybe goes to public school and is raised in in drugs or alcohol, or not raised in it, but gets into it they hear or they feel the realities of life at a very young age. Mm-hmm. They maybe see some of their friends die from some crazy accident or something, or they, they come to the end of themselves at a younger age almost. I'm wondering, and I don't know yet, because we're still a pretty young church, maybe when our kids, like your wife, your daughter, oldest daughter is now married and living in Florida, maybe when the stresses and the difficulties of life come upon them, mm-hmm. maybe then they'll kind of be like, I am so glad I was taught the gospel that it's yeah. second nature to me that it's yeah. you know maybe then there'll there'll be more of a stoking a passion for that truth right right where like some of these young guys that are now getting saved a couple of the young guys that come from up in Milverton they're hearing the gospel for the first time a couple of years ago and they're just digging into the Bible mm-hmm. like they'll mm-hmm. hear sermons That's and right. listen all day long and yep. they can't get enough can't get enough and they're just catching up to what our kids already know yeah exactly. so when when life hits maybe maybe then. Mm-hmm. you know the spirit of god that hopefully is living in them mm-hmm. will really start to kind of come through that's right and and you know maybe we're almost think like we had to plow the, our way through this and we like you said we can't come from the uh from the other side um living a life of carelessness uh, in regards to the gospel like you know i i didn't give give it much regard and um all of a sudden realizing wait a minute i'm, I'm living in sin my heart's you know, wicked from the inside and, and, um, realizing all of a sudden, you know, I got to pay or or do this. And then all of a sudden you get this opposition. Then it really starts to feel real. Like, you know, you, now you all of a sudden you got this, uh, push the, that 
you're going against and it seems like you had something to fight for and where you know our our children are relaxed they're yeah. not fighting for anything they're not that's true they're, they're quite relaxed i i think of um the you know, the nation does the same thing um they fought for freedom way back we're so relaxed in a we sense need... we did right yeah we fought for freedom from what felt like oppression exactly now i look back with fondness on some of those traditions and i realize how valuable some of them were. oh yeah absolutely but when it was grabbing my heart it felt like a, a vain thing right mm -hmm. yep and then yeah it just really directs us and and um you know if if we would have obeyed our parents a little more we probably could have avoided even some more things than what we uh, uh, were already uh, sheltered from. But um, uh, our children, you know, like you said before, we, we already discuss a lot of gospel with them. And, and uh, so they kind of got a direction, hopefully a good direction in our own homes and stuff. And then they feel like, well, what have I done wrong? Mm -hmm. You know, I, I'm, I'm not that bad. I, I'm listening to mom, dad. I'm trying. And even if I am a little bad, I know we belong to a church that preaches truth. Mm -hmm. You know, That's we're, right. we're pretty safe. Yeah, yeah. And so was there anything else? You had a couple notes there. Was there anything else major that you wanted to point out? Oh, or? Um, got one more question if you don't have anything else. Well, I think we probably covered this pretty good. Okay. I know there's many other stories we could talk about and issues mm -hmm. that uh, happened in your life. You lost two little babies. That uh, yeah was a pretty serious situation. But well, uh, I, maybe just a little bit on that. Uh, yeah, uh, right after Sarah, we had uh, Jennifer. Um, almost two years after Sarah, she was born. In, Sarah was born in '96. Jennifer was born in '98, and uh, Matthew in '99. And uh, they passed away, and we couldn't understand why. God would have allowed that but yet that had a big effect on where we were going to go from there it all happened during the time when we were really searching mm -hmm. it was it was a, a I think a, a deep soul searching time for us um, not knowing where we were going to go what we were going to do it was uh, very very a difficult time in not just losing the, the babies but in life to see what what God would want of us yeah. and, and so financial struggles and health yeah, struggles yeah yeah we, we had um, yeah health struggles financial struggles uh, financial struggles um, they were they were not too bad at them we you know we had this crazy notion my wife would work and we would both work and we brought Sarah away to the babysitter and and uh, we were doing okay and we had some money saved up and everything but that all went down the drain very quickly when when the babies were there just we used everything up because um, uh, we were in the hospital a couple of months and, and stuff like that. And, and um, yeah, anyway, and we weren't very frugal, uh, not knowing anything about saving money. So we just did what we knew how and stuff. But um, yeah, the uh, I think God was really teaching us something. It really grew us, or made us sit back and, and uh, rethink life yeah. a lot. Yeah. It's like it's amazing that you would look back to children born with deformities and dying very quickly, that that could be a great blessing to your life. Yeah. Like you obviously you don't look at that time and think, oh, that was awesome, mm -mm. but it's such a dramatic shift in your life and and mm -hmm. the ideas of mortality and That's death right. and all that can really shift your. Thinking. Oh yeah, and and then once that was all done, then obviously we we were with a doctor so much and and geneticists and all that. We had so much meetings and different things. Uh, well, 
a few meetings with a geneticist anyway, but a lot of doctors. My wife was at the doctor so much and she got so tired and, and she was in the hospital for a while herself and all that. But um, with all that, they we were challenged with, um, you know, cutting off, get tubes tied maybe or something. Don't ever Just, have kids don't again. Don't ever have this kids This is going to keep happening. Yeah. And uh, so that was a big struggle for us. And, and they even, when our second one was, we were pregnant, uh, my wife was pregnant with the second one, they hinted towards us to, you know, just, just abort. abort the baby. And that was just like, whoa, you know, and these things knowing what we just went through and you know there was a lot of struggles not that we were thinking yeah we got to do it but yeah it was hard when they said you that. knew before that this the, the next second one, one yeah gonna... yeah we already knew there was something wrong there and and um yeah so and then they said we should just never have babies anymore and we didn't know what to do with that we struggled with decision making on that and, and we just didn't feel right about it and um and then well nothing happened ever is for a long time so we just thought well we'll have one child and that's, that's from 96 to 03 right 03 yeah 03 and then Zachary came along and just perfectly healthy perfectly healthy and and uh, we were so blessed to have another baby we're like wow so this you know God didn't close the womb it was it was good and so then we had three more after that yet and just yeah they've all been good since then that's amazing yeah so that's that's been a big blessing so uh, to wrap it up, what's what's the future hold? Are you going to be uh, elder at the church at Springfield till you're 80, and then well, Christ will return and call you up before you die, or what? Yeah, before I die. Yeah. That's that's always the plan. <laughs> My plan. <laughs> well, no, it's hard to make those predictions, right? You oh, don't yeah. know for sure. But as as far as you can see right now, well, I I don't know. I I never really tried to plan that. Even I I really I think. I don't think, I, I don't know if I could see myself not doing any ministry like that anymore. So I couldn't really predict what would happen in the future. Um, right now, I just feel like I, I got to teach the Bible and, and that's it. I don't know. I really don't plan ahead, hmm. I guess. Um, I didn't plan to be a minister. I didn't plan to... Uh, um, start a church exactly and, you know for a while it was john dyke's church right well probably i'm not sure what people were saying <laughs> i i uh i never really heard myself so i i never heard if that was the case or whatever but um i just really didn't know you know it, maybe somebody would accuse me of not having visions but a vision uh, but i um i really feel like if i if i start planning god's going to take it a different direction maybe than what i think then mm. then I feel like I don't know you know so just do faithfully what you can right here and now yeah yeah that's really where what I do like I don't see myself doing anything else really then like I sometimes think what would it be like if I didn't teach and then I only can go so far in my mind that's like really mm. how how I don't know what else would you do yeah but yeah, I was, and there's that whole idea Paul talks about uh, the household of Stephanus I think had addicted themselves to the ministry. Mm -hmm. When you start seeing lives turned around and mm -hmm. you see the gospel connect with people, it's like, I, I can't not do that. I, right. I want people to know this truth. Right? Yeah, that's right. If, if say it would ever be that I wouldn't be preaching and teaching, I don't think I could see myself not doing anything. Like, you know, I, I, I think back of the days when I was driving truck, um, I was out on the road by myself and whatever. All of a sudden, 
I had the urge to say something. I had to talk to somebody. And then there he was or whatever, and then I'd start sharing. Um, next time it was, uh, you know, at a factory or something. One of your truck driver helpers. Yeah, or, or, or yeah, back those days in the truck driver helpers, you know, t- chatting there. But you were thinking later even when you were even driving now, longer yeah, distances. Yeah, even now when I own my own truck, I, I felt like, you know, somewhere something. And even now uh, at this work, I talking to this Muslim guy, Amit, uh, I really pray that he he's gonna get saved. I gave him a Bible the other day, and hopefully, uh, hopefully he gets it one day. I really hope and pray. He's, I think he's a man that's really searching for answers right mm. now because he doesn't like his religion. He says, and uh, wow. um, he doesn't know where to go. He thinks all religions are the same, and so I really hope he does. Well, any last words for? Uh men out there listening fathers husbands preachers teachers evangelists well and maybe i should listen to them <laughs> instead of them listening to me but um i i think um to stay encouraged to preach the word and to um encourage one another to like like paul does in thessalonians comfort one another with words of as as you see the day approaching, I guess, and and mm-hmm. um, we uh, we just really need to try to be faithful in that, and you know, and sometimes like you, I think mentioned in one message about easy believe believism. Uh, it is easy believism, but at the same time, you know, fight for your faith, man. It, it's it's worth it, and yeah. it's it's um, the devil and the world. They want to turn us around. They want they want to numb our faith or kill our faith, yeah. but. It's becoming a very open attack in mm-hmm. our culture at this point, right? Mm-hmm. Yeah, but yeah. Amen. Well, if you guys want to hear more or learn something about what he talked about, I'm sure you can look John up. I can get you his number if you need it. So, <laughs> but yeah, he's uh, he's had way more influence and effect than he realizes on okay. on me and on many many others. I I know that for sure. Okay. He, he's humble by nature. <laughs> <laughs> I, I don't know, man. I'm so humble, I'm proud probably, right? <laughs> uh, amen. Amen. Right. Appreciate you sh- yep. sharing with us. Yeah.